The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What's up, guys? Back again. Another step through our NFC South uh, opponent preview series. Uh, we're moving on to the New Orleans Saints and an old friend of the show, uh, Ross Jackson from Locked on Saints, coming on to talk to us about uh, these 2023 Saints and, and, and what to expect. I mean, are they the division favorite? I mean, you know, fr- you know, in a division where there were three also rans and, you know, a, a default division champion just because they had a uh, you know, they were a losing team, same as everybody else, but had a, you know, a record better than than everyone else in the division and everything. It was, you know, the NFC South was a mess uh, last year. The funny thing was they all pretty much came on towards the end of the season. Carolina, the Saints, uh, you know, and, and, and even Tampa Bay kind of, you know, went on a run towards the end of the year. And even when they were playing against each other. Uh, kind of thing just so such a strange division but you know as we learned last year in 2022 just because a division was terrible in 2021 you know and the year before doesn't mean it's going to be the same once again because the NFC East I think the was it the, maybe the Eagles or uh, I forget who won the division in 2021 was the only team to make the playoffs and, and it was Dallas it was 2021 the Cowboys won uh, the division and everybody else was, you know, the the Eagles barely made the playoffs at like ten and seven, or whatever. But the 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 Commanders, the Giants, not very good. Then fast forward, you know, or actually, I take that back. Twenty twenty was the year that the was the the Commanders or the football team, you know, won with like I think either a five hundred or a losing record uh, in twenty twenty, and then. You know, two playoff teams the year after that, and then last year, three playoff teams, and for a while it looked like all four teams were going to the playoffs. So there's no guarantee the NFC South is going to be what it was in 2022, and but also a lot of question marks, a lot of mysteries uh, concerning this division and, and how it's all going to uh, shake out. So we're going to bring Ross on to talk to us about the Saints. Was Derek Carr you know, bringing him in and giving him his, uh, you know, his bag. Is that going to, uh, is that going to be worth it? Will he be the stabilizing figure that Drew Brees uh, was when he came in back in, in 06 and, and uh, you know, stuck around until, you know, what, 2020, 2021, whichever one it was uh, for him. So, you know, we'll talk to him and, you know, is Dennis Allen the guy? Uh, in New Orleans uh, as well. They got a new defensive coordinator this year. What can they expect from him and so on and so forth. So lots to get into, lots to talk about. It's an interesting division with a lot of questions because, you know, Tampa Bay is the defending champion, but, you know, Tom Brady is gone. They were in salary cap hell, so they trimmed a lot of the fat. We'll talk a lot about that with our next guest, uh, Rhett Matthew, um, on uh, on Tuesday uh, when when we preview the Buccaneers. But, you know, Carolina, New Orleans, Atlanta, all finished seven and ten. All were in the you know the hunt for the division crown right up until the very end uh, of the uh, of the season uh, and everything. So just a, a real interesting division uh, with lots of movement. Obviously, we know Carolina, uh, you know, went for the number one pick. They got their franchise quarterback, the Saints signing, uh, you know, Derek Carr 
um, after he was released from uh, from Vegas, uh, Atlanta. Uh, you know the 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 three top ten picks in a row with Kyle Pitts, Drake London, Bijan Robinson for this high powered offense that everyone's expecting them to have is Desmond Ritter. The you know the answer there and and so on. Lots of questions. So let's get Ross on and uh, we'll find out what he thinks about his Saints uh, in twenty twenty three. This is uh, episode three for the NFC South opponent preview on the Bearstalk Underground. So let's get to it. Destination number three in our NFC, I want to say AFC, NFC South preview takes us down to the Bayou and uh, the New Orleans Saints. And if we're talking Saints, we're talking to our good friend from Locked On Saints, Ross Jackson. Ross, welcome back, man. Thanks, buddy. Always a pleasure to be here with you, man. Thanks for having me on again this year. Awesome, awesome, bro. So you've been making moves, man. I didn't think that uh, you would have the time, <laughs> you know, to to you know to give us a little time to to talk about the team. With uh, you look at your Twitter bio, it's like I I work for everybody now. <laughs> hey, you know we we out here grinding, man. But there you uh, go. doesn't mean doesn't doesn't mean that you give up on the things that you love. And I always love coming here and chopping it up with you, man. Absolutely, so, you know, appreciate I got you. that. I got so. You, bro. So let's talk about these Saints of yours, man. I mean, last year, just the the division as a whole was uh, just impossible to figure out. And train wreck. Pretty much everybody had. I mean, everybody finished with a losing record, but and everybody had a losing record, and we couldn't figure out how this thing was going to churn out. And then in the last month mm-hmm. of the season, it feels like everybody went on a winning streak at the end of the <laughs> year. So it's like literally everybody's making a move for the division crown. And in the end, you know, it was Tampa Bay and Tom Brady that uh, were, you know, kind of the default champion, if you will, because they happened to be one game better than everybody else uh, in the division. But literally everyone was seven and 10 aside from uh, Tampa Bay. And it was a re- weird roller coaster type season you guys had. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it started off on a really high note for the Saints. They had that big fourth quarter comeback victory against the Atlanta Falcons, the big rivals, you know, here in the NFC South. And then, you know, just kind of roller coasted up and down all throughout the year, considering, you know, uh, quarterback injury, you know, Jameis Winston, they built an entire offense for Jameis Winston that was expected to be a bit of a Corvette. And they had to turn things over to you know, a, a Nissan Sentra in, you know, Andy <laughs> Dalton and see, see what was going to be able to work or not work with him. And so, yeah, it was a tough season for them to really, really get their footing and really establish an identity. That was probably the biggest, maybe the biggest thing outside of the injuries that was a big problem for them last year was that they just had an identity crisis all season. Yeah. They wanted to be this, they wanted to be that, but they never really figured it out. So it was a lot of individual Herculean performances that won them some games, but that's not a sustainable way to win football, as you know. Right, because I was looking at the the wins and losses. I'm looking at the scores, and when you said you, they struggled to find an identity, that makes perfect sense by what I'm mm-hmm. looking at because it looks like when the defense showed up, the offense couldn't score any points, and when the offense yep. scored, the defense took the night off. I mean, because you have these games, that you know, like this, um, uh, you know, like 22-14 to 14 loss to – Carolina and then a couple weeks mm-hmm. later a 42 to 34 shootout with the Cardinals on yep. Thursday night football which gave everyone uh their favorite like slow motion replay of Dalton <laughs> disappointedly walking Andy off Dalton, the field yeah. while my man is running a pick six back flying through the air uh and everything so but it's like looking back and forth it's like every time the defense showed up the offense didn't and every time the mm-hmm. defense uh you know the offense showed up the defense uh, did it had to be frustrating to be like, yeah, we finally scored some points, but then we gave up more than we scored. 
Yeah, it was like the reverse of the 2014, 15, 16 years where you would see the offense go out there and ball out all the time, but then the defense was historically bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, This past season for the Saints, you look at the last eight games of the year, they didn't give up more than 20 points in any single one of those games for that entire eight-game stretch. Right. And and their offense had trouble in games where they scored 10 points, where they scored zero points. They got shut out by the San Francisco 49ers, came a point short up against the Bay Buccaneers, uh, even though they held that lead late uh, in that game. Right, yeah, they did. Uh, Yeah, yeah, that was a complete fold by the offensive side even though the defense gave up a late score the offense still couldn't move the ball couldn't keep the ball um, in Andy Dalton's hands kept turning it back over to Tom Brady's hands and of all people to give the ball to in an in-game situation you probably don't want to give it to that guy right and so you know you can see where the Saints struggled particularly late down the stretch but I mean eight straight games over the defensive side to close out the season with 20 points or less I mean that's remarkable stuff that hasn't happened since the Dome Patrol days for New Orleans right and so uh, you know I mean it, it shows you exactly who that offense turned into particularly after like week kind of eight you can see all that scoring just kind of plummets with the exception of that los angeles rams game which was a little bit of a back and forth uh Mm -hmm. type of a matchup here in new orleans yeah and uh and then like i said they they had a week 14 bye same as the bears and then went on a Mm -hmm. three game winning streak after the the bye week when literally all three teams in the division are making a run for the uh, division crown and then fall short against Carolina in that final week. Otherwise, they would have been the eight and nine team that could have possibly would they have held the tiebreaker? No, they got swept by Tampa Bay, so they still yeah, they wouldn't got have, swept by Tampa. Yeah, so but, they still wouldn't know, they have won have anyway. Had yeah, they still would have had at least like a little bit more pride in it though, because the thing about that that um, Carolina game to close out the season, Sam Darnold had a two point eight passer rating in that game. Wow. He played only five of fifteen passes for forty three yards and threw two picks, and the Saints walked away with seven points in that game. Yeah. And it was the opening drive that they scored that touchdown, by the way. And then after that, just the offense went flat. Andy Dalton throwing to the left side of the field while the receivers on the right side of the field. It was wild. And so it's just like a whole, it was a whole kind of thing where maybe there was, you know, a stake of pride to be had in that game to close out four and oh and kind of give hope for the future. But to come out flat up against a passer rating of 2.8, that that's not a great way to end your season. Right. So explain this to me. Um, you, you just went on saying how for the last eight games the defense showed up, didn't give up more than 20 points, uh, you know, the rest of the, the season there. But you have a new defensive coordinator this year. Well, shouldn't, kind of. Shouldn't you be having a new offensive coordinator since it was the offense that kind of died at the end of the season there? Well, the offensive coordinator not changing was maybe one of the most peculiar things about this New Orleans Saints offseason. But the defensive coordinator didn't really change because the architect and play caller of that defense is still Dennis Allen. He's the head coach. So really what you're looking for is like who's your guy that you're bouncing things off of. And so and who's the guy that's assisting you as like your top assistant effectively. So the the defensive coordinators that they had last year, they had a co-defensive coordinator situation with former, you know, Legion of Boom, you know, uh, position coach in Chris Richard. And you had Ryan Nielsen, who is a defensive line specialist, who's now the defensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons. So he got a new job. The Saints and Chris Richard parted ways. And then so Dennis Allen maintains his defense and maintains his play calling, but brings in a good friend of his in Joe Woods, who was the Cleveland Browns defensive coordinator uh, last year, but more importantly is a secondary specialist. And the Saints came away with their franchise record lowest uh, number of turnovers last season. And Joe Woods is expected to come in to help with that. But everything in terms of the architecture of the defense, the play calling of the defense, all of that stuff is still very much the same with Dennis Allen. So was there a signature win 
last year? I mean, because the, the, the teams that you <laughs> beat, is, and it's funny, you know, <laughs> like you, you beat the Raiders 24 to nothing. I mean, would that be the one or would it be the week one victory over Atlanta where you came back in the fourth quarter? You're down like what, two, three scores in the fourth quarter to come back and win? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, Opening win against Atlanta was uh, an incredible game um, and, and all, but I, I struggle to call that a signature win because that was a Jameis Winston win, and Jameis Winston got two more games, and that was it. So in terms mm. of who are you know who was the actual person that led this offense throughout the 2022 season, I have to go with an Andy Dalton win, but it's not really on Andy Dalton's shoulders. It is that 24 to zero victory against Las Vegas Raiders, which is kind of funny considering that the guy on the opposite side of that that couldn't put up any points is your with his offense. Now is now the New Orleans Saints quarterback in Derek Carr. But that was one of those Herculean performances by the New Orleans Saints where you had three touchdowns by Alvin Kamara in catch-and-run situations. Just unsustainable game plan type football, but they were the first touchdowns that he had scored that entire season. It took it to week eight. For him to get into the end zone. Wow. And so uh so I think that was probably the signature win for them because it was a shutout. It showed their defensive personality, it sh- or their defensive identity. It showed what their offense could be uh in terms of you know utilizing Alvin Kamara, which is something they really struggled to do last year. Uh, but unfortunately, nothing from the offensive side translated throughout the rest of the season. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you mentioned uh Derek Carr. That was uh mm-hmm. probably your your headliner as far as your free agent additions uh were concerned um i think it was down to you and the jets and and i wonder with all the drama like they're probably happy about it now but maybe the jets regret not signing Derek carr and just putting an end to all that nonsense throughout the <laughs> off season with you know the the will they won't they you know he makes this announcement yeah. i want to be a jet and then then the trade doesn't happen for two months or something like that while they go back and forth on what the trade is actually going to be for and uh, and all that kind of stuff, but he lands, you know, with uh, with New Orleans after a very unhappy exit in uh, Las Vegas, and you added some other interesting pieces. Um, Foster Moreau is he is he actually going to be ready for the for the season? Is he still recovering from the? From the cancer yeah, bout? No, or? He, he's, he's already ready. I mean, we've nice. been out there watching him at OTAs, mini camps, everything. Like, he's completely cleared and ready to go. So, yeah, he's expected to start week one as long as he stays healthy through training camp. That's great. Um, it's an awesome story. Colin Sanders. Um, mm-hmm. He and I went to Western Illinois. Nice. So, uh, so he's an alumni, or we went to the same school or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not the school that it used to be, I promise you. But uh, <laughs> Nor is it the football program that it used to be when sure. I was there. We, we were playing for national championships when I was there, but um, not that I was on the field. I was just there during the time. Yeah, but, but you were uh, present. You were I present. was. I was the I was the play-by-play announcer, thank you very much. I was part of the program. But um, you bring in Jamal Williams, which was, uh, you know, you guys need a short yardage back. You got your guy now, right? Yeah, that might be one of my favorite additions for this team. And, you know, the, the most maybe impactful free agency addition in the non-quarterback category uh, for the New Orleans Saints because there is the expectation that Alvin Kamara will miss time in 2023, depending upon his July 31st court date, which still stems back to the uh, battery charge that's still outstanding from two Pro Bowls ago or whenever it was. Right. Uh, and so, you know, that hearing was continued and continued and continued all through the 2022 season. Now the hearing is finally concluded and there's a trial set. We'll see if the trial date stands for July 31st or if that gets postponed and pushed and continued and everything to, you know, throughout the, throughout the season. But in any case, um, the addition of Jamal Williams does two things. It, it allows you to sort of have a stable back that you can go to if Alvin Kamara does miss time. But he's also the sort of missing component to 
what Alvin Kamara needs in order to be successful in the New Orleans Saints offense. You know, this is a guy that never topped 200 carries in a single season uh, in New Orleans until last year, 2021, uh, or I guess two years ago, 2021, where all of a sudden he shot up to 240. He was at like 197, 190 was his was his career high before that. And he was at 223 last year, but like a, you know, less than four yard per, you know, carry average and all this other stuff because they're running him between the tackles. He has to be the bell cow back. And so now you have a guy in Jamal Williams that can do that so you can utilize Alvin Kamara more as a guy that you can get open in space, use him as a sort of change of pace guy, which is how he really, really um, excelled in partnership with guys like Mark Ingram and Latavius Murray in the past. Anybody else that uh, you guys brought in uh, this year that you're excited about? Yeah, I really like the addition of Nathan Shepard. He's the other defensive tackle next to, uh, to Colin Saunders. I think that Shepard is somebody that comes in who has like a very similar athletic build and athletic style of play uh, to David Onyemata, who they lost uh, this offseason to the Atlanta Falcons. He went and followed Ryan Nielsen over there. And, you know, he was a guy that was top 10 in the NFL last year at his position amongst qualifying defensive tackles and pass rush win rate. He, you know, so he's, he's a disruptive player. He's an athletic brand of interior edge rusher. And so I think that the addition of Todd Grantham, who was the former defensive coordinator for the Florida Gators, was a defensive analyst last year with the Alabama Crimson Tide. Now he's with New Orleans as their defensive line coach. The two things that they brought him in for are, one, they want a more attacking offensive line, to, or excuse me, defensive line to get after these quarterbacks with a little bit more success uh, earlier on in the season than they've seen in the past, although they have been a 40-sack team in each of the last five seasons. Uh, but they want to just start to get those numbers built up a little bit earlier than, than they have been. And then the second thing is to be better at defending more mobile quarterbacks, younger improvisational quarterbacks and things like that. So I think that the addition of Nathan Shepard as a free agent absolutely helps there. And then, of course, they had their draft class too, which has a lot of good talent there. Right. Um, speaking of uh, pass rushers, Marcus Davenport, That's uh, that one didn't work out for you guys. Um, that did not work. No, you paid quarterback prices to move up and, and get him in the draft, and uh, you didn't. Uh, he did not get a fifth year option, right? He just he got that declined. He did. And, he did. Get he his did. Fifth-year okay. Option. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Last uh, after year was the, his fifth year. Option. Last year was the fifth year, and now he's off. Mm-hmm. He's gone to Minnesota. Now you guys didn't feel the need to bring Andy Dalton uh, back uh, with uh, with Derek Carr uh, on board. Um, Let's see who else. Uh, looks like Caden Ellis has gone to Atlanta as well, mm-hmm. so he's following the, following the. What's his name again? Sorry, Ryan Nielsen. Yeah, there DC headed over there. Yeah, headed over there. Shy Tuttle. There's a yeah, name for you. Was- yeah, he ended up, uh, he was an undrafted free agent for the Saints uh, years ago coming out of the University of Tennessee. Um, Saints love their UDFAs out of Tennessee. Um, Taylor Taylor Stallworth, I believe, was out of that program. And then you have guys like Marquez, uh, Marquez Calloway and, and Shai Tuttle, who all came over from that program as well. Bryce Thompson was another UDFA from that program. Uh, but yeah, Shai Tuttle was another guy that they lost this offseason who's probably a little bit more of the run stuffer. That's probably the guy that Colin Saunders is most immediately replacing in terms of fit and style. But with Colin Saunders, you're about 30 spots better uh, in pass rush win rate than you are with Shai Tuttle while getting mm. similar productivity in, in the run game. So again, a little bit more attacking pass rusher. Uh, build for the New Orleans Saints defensive line than what they had last year, which was a 24th ranked run defense, by the way. So the calling card of guys like Shy Tuttle and some of the others that they that they ended up losing was a place where they struggled last season and are hoping to improve here in 2023. All right, any anyone that that uh, that that left that you're going to miss, especially. Um, 
I don't think they had major losses. I, I think it's. I think the thing that you're going to miss the most is continuity on the defensive line. Okay. The only starter on the defensive line that's returning is Cam Jordan. Now that's a damn good starter to have sure. return to your defensive line. Don't get me wrong, but that means that everybody that he's next to, and this is probably the second or third time that this has happened to Cam and his time in New Orleans, because that's what happens when you're drafted in 2011 and you're still playing in 2023. Right. Uh, you you know this is like the second or third time that he's had an entirely new defensive line line up next to him from one season to the next uh so you know he's a great leader he'll 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 pull everybody together he'll continue to be who he is he's had seven and a half sacks every single season since 2012 i don't know that the saints are done tinkering with the defensive line there's still some good free agents out there that could come in and and assist and be veteran players on both the interior as well as on the edge but i think that's maybe the thing that you miss is kind of the 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 combination of losing Guys like David Onyemata, Shai Tuttle, Ma- uh, Marcus Davenport, and Contavia Street, who they also lost this offseason to the Eagles, I believe. Yes, um, that's a big that that's a, just a big shift to take to where you have to replace three quarters of your starting defensive line. Well, you drafted two pieces with your mm-hmm. first two picks, and and is it Brissy or Breezy? Brissy, Brissy, uh, mm-hmm. the defensive tackle from Clemson, and then Isaiah Foskey, the defensive end from Notre Dame. You know, if not immediate starters, those are guys that are definitely going to be part of a rotation uh, coming off yeah. the off a bench for sure, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Saints rotate their defensive line like hockey teams. You'll see four guys run off after play, four new guys run on before the next play. And uh, Brian Brzee and, and Isaiah Foskey will absolutely be a, a part of all that. Both of those guys are, you know, they fit the brand of what the Saints are looking for in their defensive line in terms of, you know, athletic attacking types penetrating three tech when you look at uh brian brzee and then you have an athletic uh solid run defender but also the most career sacks um you know held by a single player in notre dame's history in isaiah foskey and so you know and, and they like isaiah foskey's um athleticism too they think they can help him out they, they think he can help them out a ton in terms of defending against some of those mobile quarterbacks younger quarterbacks and things like that especially now with bryce young in the division and we'll see what tampa does at quarterback next year and so, you know, both of those guys will have their major opportunities. Neither of them may take the first snap opposite their veteran starters, but I, I would say they probably end up having, you know, the the most snaps by the end of the season next to their veteran starters. So answer this for me. How did you guys end up with the 29th pick in the first yes. round? Um, I was yeah. always, I was wondering that on draft day. It's like, the Saints at 29. It's like how – what twists and turns of a trade landed them at number 29? Because I think if we were going by, like, order of finish, they should have been, like, like 10 or 11 or something like that. Yeah, and, yeah um, they should have been number 10. Number 10. Oh, that, mm-hmm. The Eagles, that makes sense. Yeah, that was the, the Eagles, yeah. The Chris Olave trade. But, exactly. um, you know, so how did we get to 29? Yeah, so that was the Sean Payton trade. So ah. Sean Payton, when he stepped away from New Orleans, his contract – wasn't expired. So when he made the decision to go to Denver, um, Denver had to trade for him. Right. And so I don't know how the saints did it because based upon everything that's out there in terms of what the saints or what, what is usually the transaction for a coach, which is usually like a mid round pick, especially one that you're not taking up out of a position, right? John Gruden, of course, everybody knows the first, the two first rounders, two second rounders, but that was Tampa convincing at the time, Oakland to trade John Gruden, right? Yeah. That wasn't a John Gruden isn't 
you know, coaching for us anymore, but the contract is still active type of a situation like Sean Payton was. And so by all intents and purposes, the Saints probably should have just walked away with maybe a third round selection, but instead they got a first round this year and a second round, this, uh, second round in 2024 wow. out of uh, Denver, which was uh, a, a great, you know, move for the New Orleans Saints who, you know, were trading away a coach that was never going to coach for them again. So, you know, to get a first and a second in two, you know, back-to-back years that's yeah. that's pretty outstanding because what was what kind of blew me away was like what picks does denver have left after trading right. for russell wilson but uh you know they had an extra pick thanks to the bradley chubb i think was that mm-hmm. the pick yeah was, it was that the bradley chubb trade the, if the I first remember round correctly. pick they got from miami for bradley chubb mm-hmm. or something like that and then yep. you know i was like because they gave up like four or five picks and players to get russell wilson I was like what do they have left to deal Yep. <laughs> you know, when they were talking about trading for for Peyton uh, and everything. So how are you liking Dennis Allen at the helm so far? Um, I, I think like uh, so there's two different answers to this question. I, I think he still has a lot to prove as a head coach. Right. I mean, he, he's not a guy that has a winning record as a head coach last year coming up uh, seven and ten was a disappointing debut. But I think this year is a year to where he has a real opportunity to be able to prove you know, what he can do. And he's got, he's rebuilt the entire, def, uh, really the entire coaching staff at this point with the exception of offensive coordinator. They felt comfortable continuing with Pete Carmichael there, which really goes to tell you that the Saints feel that most of their offensive issues on the field were about execution, not play calling. Sure. So that's a, that's a pretty big indictment of how the, the play was in the field last year. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, DA has a very clear vision of what he wants this team to be, but he's not an offensive guy. So he's got to have somebody that he trusts over on the offensive side of the football. Um, You know, if you look at what his unit did in 2022, uh, top five in terms of total yards, top 10 in terms of points, uh, in terms of scoring, uh, top two, they were number two in the NFL against passing and everything. And so like you, you can see where you still have all the pieces that are, you know, Dennis Allen esque in terms of what, you know, when he came in here, came back in 2015 and then eventually took over as a defensive coordinator to try to curb a historically terrible defense that Rob Ryan had created here in new Orleans. Um, so I, I dig what Dennis Allen is doing. I think that he's a good leader. Um, I think the biggest thing, though, is that like you don't see – I think what a lot of people highlight is that you don't see the fire from him the way that you would see the fire from Sean Payton, where Sean Payton would you know yell. And you know he was a coach, right? Like he's yeah, yeah. loud and he did all those things. But I will say that like Dennis Allen maybe doesn't get the credit for that because I think there's a difference between what the broadcast shows you and what is actually happening out on the field. And I think when you look down on the field and you know we sit in the press box, so we sit right over the top of the, the Saints' sideline, and you can see Dennis Allen – you know, running up and down the sideline, you could see the energy and all those other things. So you want maybe that to be a little bit more visible. Uh, I think that him having his voice on the offensive side with Derek Carr is a big deal for him uh, because he trusts Derek Carr. He drafted Derek Carr when he was in Oakland. He made the decision to make him a rookie starter when he was at the Raiders, all those other things. And the two of them just speak the same language. Like they have a really, really tight relationship that they've maintained ever since Dennis Allen, you know, returned to new Orleans. And so I, I think that that's the thing that ends up making the big difference for him is can Derek Carr be his voice on the offensive side in addition to Pete Carmichael helping to bolster a little bit of that side of the line? Yeah, I didn't think about that and about them kind of being reunited in New Orleans mm-hmm. from their time together in in, uh, in Oakland. So yeah, which was uh, brief. I mean, it was only four games, but <laughs> but like you know they they developed a really really good relationship even beyond that and and have consistently been um, you know uh, keeping in touch and you know together and all those other things sure so looking at the rest of your draft class um kendry miller running back out of uh 
TCU was one of the more hotter college teams that you had to offer. Then, of course, until they ran into Georgia in the national yeah. championship game. <laughs> um, that game was like watching, you know, like watching somebody play Mortal Kombat against themselves. Yes. You know, yes. like playing a two player yeah. game by yourself. <laughs> And just kicking yeah. the crap out of the other figure, opponent. Yeah, I'm just going to learn the combos. Yeah. You know, I figured. <laughs> I need to learn how to do the fatality, so I'm just going to practice yes. on this other. You know, that's what that game looked like. It was like 58 to 7 or something was the yeah, final it was score. Which just it was, was ridiculous. Uh, and then your fourth round pick, you made a trade with us to get to the top of the fourth round to take uh, Nick Saldieri. Six. Saldaveri, sorry. Saldaveri. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from Old uh, Dominion. Not a place mm-hmm. you actually go looking for offensive linemen, so. Right. That's interesting. Um, Jake Hayner, the quarterback out of Fresno State, mm-hmm. bringing him in to develop the other fourth-round selection. And then you had a five and a six. Jordan Howden, the safety from Minnesota, and then A.T. Perry, wide receiver out of Wake Forest to round out the, uh, to round out the class. And so how are you feeling overall about the guys you brought in? Yeah, I think there was a clear sort of uh, designation, or, or not designation, but a clear rhythm that the Saints hit uh, on each day of their draft. I mean, Brian Brzee kind of felt like the target all along. Like many of us were saying, yeah, Brian Brzee's the guy. He, he's going to be the guy, all this other stuff. And then he ended up being the guy at 29. Uh, and that was, look, they wanted to roll the dice on a little bit of potential there. He's got, so he was the number one high school recruit uh, going into Clemson. The the guy that was number two was actually Bryce Young, who went 1-1 this past mm-hmm. year and uh, to the Carolina Panthers. And so, you know, I, I think it's pretty easy to see the potential that they see in him. The biggest thing is that he's dealt with, you know, family stuff and, yeah, yeah. as well as, you know, injuries and all those other things that kind of, you know, derailed a little bit of his playing time over in uh, over at Clemson. But, it, you know, if he's past all of that, then all of a sudden all you have to bank on there is potential. So big, day one was a big potential day. Day two was all about production. Uh, Isaiah Foskey, like I mentioned, was the career leader in sacks uh, for um, – Notre for Notre Dame, thank you. And then you know you got a guy in Kendra Miller who had a thousand one thousand three hundred ninety nine rushing yards and seventeen rushing touchdowns last year with TCU. It's all production. And then day four became a lot about potential. Uh, Nick Saldaveri is a guy that can play literally any position on the offensive line. The Saints love that. Um, he played center at the Senior Bowl, has played guard and tackle all throughout his time at ODU, and so they really you know believe that he can be a guy that can come in and that they can kind of they see him as an interior offensive lineman, but where in the interior they, they can kind of figure that out and figure out where they have needs later on down the line. Uh, so he becomes a big, you know, stopgap there. Um, you know, Jake Hayner is a guy that comes in. That's, you know, if he has a chase Daniel type career, it's where he's a, you know, one of the league's better backups and everything like that, like that's going to be great for him. And that's kind of the trajectory that I see for a guy like Jake Hayner. Uh, you know, five eleven quarterbacks don't usually make it in the NFL. So there's no reason to believe that that's just going to change all of a sudden. Right. And, but the reason why they like him is because like Derek Carr has been his mentor for years and you know, he was a Fresno state guy as was Derek Carr. Derek Carr has given his phone number to every single Fresno state quarterback since he graduated from Fresno state. And um, Jake Hayner is the guy that picked the phone up and actually called him. <laughs> and so, you know, he, he speaks the same language as Jake. Jake speaks the same language as Derek on, on the field. And uh, Jake has studied Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints offense for years. Drew Brees was his favorite player growing up. The Saints were his favorite team growing up, even though he was in the Central Valley in California. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it, it makes sense in terms of bringing in a guy that can be the clipboard on the sideline, probably starting next year in 2024, and be the guy that looks over the, you know, the, the screenshots with Derek Carr on the sideline when the defense is on the field. It, it makes a ton of sense. 
Um, the additions of guys like Jordan Howden and A.T. Perry, they'll come with a lot of potential. Uh, A.T. Perry is a wildly productive wide receiver at Wake Forest, over 120 catches the last two seasons there. Quintessential X receiver lined up on the line of scrimmage and outside like 97% of the time while he was at Wake Forest. So he is 100% that kind of X receiver, weak side, split in type of guy. And But he wants to he wants to participate in the slot. You know, I asked him about like, what are the things that you wanted to, you know, that you didn't feel that you had the opportunity to do in college that you want to do? And he says, yeah, I really want to contribute in the shot in the slot. I want to show what I can do there. And the Saints would love that. They love big slot guys. And so I think that he has a lot of potential. He's just got to get past some of the focus drops. That was a big issue for him Mm. while at Wake Forest. And then Jordan Howden's, you know, uh, I, I tend to describe him kind of like a, Having the versatility of a of a PJ Williams, where you can, who was a guy that the Saints signed like ninety seven one year contracts. The guy just like never left ever since he was drafted, <laughs> and they would just bring him back year after year after year. And the reason why they would do that is because he was run one roster spot, but he could play in the slot, he could play outside, and he can play safety. And Jordan Howden has that same type of versatility, but he sees the field incredibly well. And the coaches that I've talked to for New Orleans, they compare his vision of the field to former starting free safety Marcus Williams guy that went out and got a bag with the uh, Baltimore Ravens and has made some incredible plays throughout his time in his career and that he sees the field that same way. So both of those things, I think, are, are things that allow a guy like Jordan Howden, who may be a core special teamer in 2023, to potentially have a big role come 2024, 2025. Yeah, our um, PJ Williams would be DeAndre Houston Carson. You know, yeah. we drafted him back yeah. in like 2016, and ever since yep. his – rookie deal ran out we've just signed him to a series of one-year contracts in fact i think a lot of people are still waiting for us to do it again as we as we close in on uh close in on training camp uh and everything but he's that guy that we bring back every single year on another one-year contract you know everybody's got one yeah and uh yeah so that was him that that uh that we've been doing that with uh with recently so was there anybody that you guys missed that, uh, you know, like somebody that you're like, oh, man, wish, you know, he was taking two spots ahead of us or or somebody that you would have wished kind of fallen into your lap or, or you know, something like that? I'm, I'm curious if if Clemson edge rusher Miles Murphy made it to 29. He was drafted at 28 by the Cincinnati Bengals. Oh, wow. If he made it to 29. And let's say he and Brzee were both on the board, which one the Saints would have gone with. I think they still would have gone with Brzee, but it's interesting, right? Because if they would have, let's say that, you know, for whatever reason, since he took Brian Brzee at 28 and Miles Murphy was there at 29, the Saints would have happily taken Miles Murphy at 29. Sure. But then that changes their entire strategy at 40 in the second round where they did go edge rusher with right. Isaiah Foskey. So then you have to look and see like, okay, so who are the defensive tackles that maybe would have made it to that point that they would have been able to lean in on and things like that. But it is it is interesting to, to think about that scenario. But I do think that the Saints, and, and as far as the Saints will tell you, just like any other NFL team will tell you, is that they got their guys. You know what I mean? They got the guys that they want. That's what every team will tell you. Sure. Uh, but I, I do think there is a little bit more truth to that for this New Orleans, for this New Orleans Saints class than certainly in years past where you know you can clearly see them getting jumped for Terrace Marshall, getting jumped for Patrick Mahomes, I, J- Jaquan Brisker going one pick before them, all those other things. Like there, there's a lot of those uh, really clear examples of like, oh, that didn't go well. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's always interesting because um, – you know, with the Bears, um, you know, trading down from one and then trading from nine to ten to show how much we really didn't want Jalen Carter. <laughs> um, yeah. 
because of the trade for Chase Claypool, we didn't pick again until the pick we got for Roquan at 53. Right. So we had 43 spots between Darnell Wright Ooh. and Gervon Dexter. It makes you wonder who or what we would have taken had we held on to 32. Uh, yeah, you know, what we would have taken at the top of the f- second round. Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned Gervon Dexter because I look at him as if the Saints would have taken Miles Murphy at 29 had he made it there and if they wanted him, if they would have gone edge rusher in the first round, Gervon Dexter was a shoe-in for them mm-hmm. at 40 and everything because, again, you've got your former Florida Gators, you know, uh, uh, defensive line coach, you know, as your former Gators uh, defensive coordinator as your defensive line coach right now and Todd Grantham. Todd Grantham recruited him to Florida, all these other things. He, he fits the style of that attacking presence on the interior. Uh, he's a little bit of a bigger body than yeah, Brian Brzee is. He's a big boy. Uh, yeah, I, I shouldn't even say a little bit of a bigger body. Like he is absolutely a he's bigger massive. body than Brian Brzee is. Six six, like three thirty. Yeah. He is a big guy. But so incredibly athletic, yeah. like so impressive, and 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 a pass rusher, not like a like a legitimate pass rusher at that size at defensive tackle. Not a run plugger that can get fancy with his feet every now and then. He can he can do he can play both phases of the of the game, and I think that that's somebody that would have made a ton of sense for them at forty had they gone edge rusher at, at, in the first. Yeah, the thing that I'm looking forward to with Dexter is that you know when when the press corps was asking the Bears why you know why trade why take Dexter here. Um, not that they were reaching for him or anything like that, but that, you know, you're looking for interior pass rush help, and that's not something that he did mm-hmm. at Florida. It's like, well, because they didn't use him that way right? In Florida. That's exactly, in, exactly. In Florida, it was more like a read and react type of thing mm-hmm. as opposed to where the Bears, they want you to get upfield. You yeah. know, get upfield, penetrate, and everything. The back seven will take care of what's going on behind them uh, yeah. kind of thing. It's like get up your gap, disrupt the pocket, because th- this is a defense where you got to get home with four. Which means yeah. everybody's got to be getting at the after the quarterback. If you're trying to get home with four, you can't be sitting there holding your offensive lineman by the shoulder pads, seeing what you need to do next. You need to get your ass <laughs> no. up field. So, <laughs> you know, they're really, really excited about the things that they saw from him that proved that he could do what it is they're going to be asking him to do. Uh, you know, in a bare uniform. So, I'm excited to see what uh, what he might actually be doing for us. And um, yeah. Same. I think he's a remarkably talented player. And it's funny that that same, that similar conversation happens when you talk about Kendra Miller, Mm. the running back that the Saints drafted in the third round out of TCU. Uh, He caught 29 passes in his entire career at TCU, but the Saints want to use him as a pass catcher. (laughs) And there's a lot of people who are saying, well, you know, I mean, not as a pass catcher, but they they want pass catcher to be a part of his game out of the backfield. And so uh, one of the, one of the things that kind of came for that was people going like, oh, well, I mean, they can't ask him to do that. He's, he's, he hasn't done that before. He doesn't know how to, he can't do that. And, and what the saints will tell you is that, well, no, there's a difference between what you can and can't do. Yeah. And there's a difference between what you're asked to do versus what you're not asked to right. Just because TCU didn't ask him to do it. doesn't mean that he can't do it. Yeah. Mark Ingram wasn't asked by Alabama to be a pass catcher. He was a pass catcher in the saints offense. Latavius Murray wasn't asked by any of the teams that he played with before new Orleans to be a pass catcher. He was a pass catcher in the new Orleans States offense. Like they expect that they'll have the same success with Kendra Miller. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting how how sometimes that works out where you you know you hear these players it's like this is not what he did in college you know why would they take a chance on a guy like that especially you know high second round pick and uh, and things like that and it's like well they know what they want him to do and apparently right. they've seen either flashes of it or whatever and I've I've also and I think they actually talked to his defensive line coach uh, Dexter's defensive line coach mm-hmm. like oh yeah. He'll be good at that. 
He'll be, you know, he'll be a monster at that because that, they're right. That's not what we asked him to do at Florida when when they want him getting upfield. He's going to be able to do that for the Bears. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was one of those things where you're sitting there, you're watching the draft. It's been 49 picks since we selected or whatever it was. And they're like, yeah, here comes Devin Hester. Cool, man, calling the pick. It's Dev. What's up, man? And he's like, yeah, Gervon Dexter Sr. Like, Who? You know, it's like it's one of those things. Like I'm, I'm, I love watching the draft, but I'm not a draft guy, so I don't know right. anybody outside of the household names that are supposed to go uh, in the first round. And I was like, Gervon Dexter, defensive tackle. Hey, we need a defensive tackle. Okay, there good. Go. We yeah, got yeah. one of those. And, you know, yeah. then it's afterwards. We're like, yeah, here's this what this guy did. Here's what he does, and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. that's like one of my favorite things about the draft is when <laughs> when the cameras find the fan base at the at the draft. <laughs> And they're like, and they uh, and they uh, announce the name, and you and you see it come wash over their faces. They have no idea who that is, no idea who that is. But they're like, he's a Falcon, yay! You know, it's yeah, like exactly. I'll right, figure right. it out later. It's like, what position does he play? Like, I don't know. Never heard of that school before. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So that's always one of those fun things that you see. It's like the camera's right in their face, and it's just they're obvious. They have no idea who they just picked. Never yeah. heard of them before, but yeah, he's yours now. With no no media training, yeah. no poker faces, <laughs> nothing like that. That are uh, like, what? Uh, oh, know. okay, sure, sure, yeah, all right, all right, right. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. all right. <laughs> we'll bitch about it later when it doesn't work out. I guess I don't know, but um, so yeah. Now we'll move on to the onto the schedule, and obviously you have the. The NFC North and the AFC South uh, mm-hmm. this year because you got the Titans, the Jags, the Colts, and the uh, what am I missing? Titans, Colts, Jags, Texans. Oh, Texans, yeah, yeah. So, and you get pretty much them. You got them out of the way first eight weeks, yeah. Because you start with Tennessee at home, and then in successive weeks, six week six, seven, and eight, Houston, Jacksonville, uh, Indianapolis. So they're out the door right away. Uh, for you but uh, you start at home against Tennessee then at Carolina on Monday night mm-hmm. at Green Bay home for the Buccaneers so that's the first quarter uh, of the schedule there so you got a Monday night game uh, against the Panthers so Bryce Young's first opportunity for national TV exposure mm-hmm. and um, you know but that first game against Tennessee that's going to be interesting because I can't figure out the Titans myself either because they were a juggernaut yeah. at the beginning of the season and and i don't i don't think i've seen a team fall off that hard the way they did at the end of the season last year yeah and and who knows what that quarterback position is going to look like for them ryan Tannehill, malik willis you know it's i doubt it's going to be will levis but you'll know, we'll have to see what that quarterback position looks like them their their offensive line is atrocious right now uh but the thing that's gonna be really interesting about that game just storyline wise is rookie running back Tajay Spears who was drafted about 10 spots after the Saints selected Kendra Miller Tajay Spears went to college here in New Orleans uh, at Tulane mm. and uh so he was a fan favorite for the Saints to select oh, uh, at 71 go. and the Saints with him on the board took a different running back in in Kendra Miller now what's since been found out is that um you know Tajay a remarkably talented pass catching do all do it all type of uh running back uh for all the talent that he has he's he has no acl in one of his knees is, right. is what the what the report was and so i'm certain that that was something that the saints saw and went ah, okay well he's he's 
he's four and, and, and Kendra Miller will be three or, yeah. you know, whatever their, whatever their running back positional rankings were at that time. And so uh, that, but that is going to be interesting is that like that game is here in new Orleans. So to be a little bit of a homecoming for Tajay, who have a lot of family members here and does it turn into some type of Tajay Spears revenge game yeah. in that his hometown team yeah. didn't draft him or whatever. So that's a really interesting one, but it, it is such a, an unfamiliar opponent to open your season against. Um, it is it is a wild opponent for the New Orleans States to open their season against is this AFC South team that like they've played a couple times. Don't get me wrong. They played them recently, uh, but just not a team that, you know, back and forth like your division opponents or your mm-hmm. conference opponents. Yeah, that's the thing about the uh, about the AFC rotation. You only see them once every four years. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, now with this 17th game, you see them like once every two years. But that's yeah, that depends on how you finish in your. <laughs> uh, division like because the bears played in fourth place our 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 afc same place conference this year was the afc north so we got mm-hmm. the browns this year so mm-hmm. we'll see how that works out but yeah it should be uh interesting but yeah you 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 uh you you see these teams once every four years you you see each other's home field once every eight Right. Yes. yes, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it's just like, uh, yeah. So the, the chances of, uh, you know, there being any kind of familiarity with the fan bases and stuff like that, it's a few and far between, mm-hmm. you know, with, with the rotation uh, and everything. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. So week five, you're at New England, at Houston, and then, like I said, five, six, seven, and eight is uh, home for Jacksonville on Thursday night and then at Indianapolis for week number Hey, tell me, how are we feeling about the Thursday flexing thing? Because I would rather put my head through this desk than, you yeah. know, see my team get subjected to multiple Thursday night games. And, oh, look at that. The Bears have two Thursday night yeah, games yeah. this the, year. Uh, yeah, the Saints are in that same same boat, too. They've got yeah. a Thursday night game week seven and a Thursday night game week 16. Right. So it seems unlikely that they'll get. I mean, they they can't get flexed into into another one. So they they they're pretty they're pretty safe from the flexing thing. Mm-hmm. The issue though is for the fans. Yeah. Like that Thursday game against Los Angeles Rams. There's a good chance that game means nothing. Right. And so there's a chance that that ends up being flexed to four days later on Sunday, and fans will get a 21 day notice basically to say okay well you have to change everything that you planned on doing yeah. for that entire week now <laughs> and, and that kind of sucks like that that's the part that i i don't like about it but you know look the nfl makes its money not necessarily through its ticket sales but through its television and, right. and through its its tv deals and stuff like that and so like they want the fans there they want the stadiums packed and all that stuff but they make their money on tv deals and so if you're able to take a crappy thursday night game and move it out of the way. And as we know, there will be crappy Thursday night games in the range in which they can flex it toward the end of the season. It's going to yeah. happen. Yeah. And they can move more meaningful games to Thursday. A, it takes more meaningful games that could have playoff implications and puts them on literally the worst night to play football, yeah. uh, just in terms of injuries and things like that. But then also it changes all of the, uh, you know, the, the fan, you know, the fan part of it is the one that just kind of drives me nuts. Cause it's just kind of like, ah, sorry for you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, imagine that you get a three week notice that you like. I mean, especially if you're if you're a traveling fan base, and yes. you have yeah. to change you think about up those AFC West teams yeah. and stuff like that. Like, oh my goodness, you gotta you know rearrange everything, flights and you know hotels and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And I mean, who has the presence of mind to make sure that you're you know either on a website or you know hooking up with a 
with a with a hotel that has a free cancellation policy or right. you know or something like that to just completely screw up your uh, your plans uh, and, and everything yeah. like that. So I mean, yeah. it's uh, and as we all know, like the the flights are the are the toughest part because ain't no airline giving you that kind of flexibility. They're not about that. <laughs> no, man. they're not about that. Now no. you got to pay extra for non for for like fully refundable and all this other stuff. Like it's it's wild. Yeah. So yeah, do the Saints travel well? Uh, Saints fans usually don't necessarily travel beyond a certain point. I'm looking at some of these away games that they have. Carolina will have a good contingent. I don't think Green Bay will. New England won't. Uh, Houston will have a good contingent. Yeah, there's a lot of basically right there, isn't it? Yeah, it's a five-hour drive, and there's already a lot of New Orleans that moved to Houston and still live in live in Houston post Katrina. Um, Minnesota ain't nobody traveling. I know Minnesota in November. It ain't happening. Uh, Atlanta's usually got a pretty good contingent. Los Angeles will be interesting. And Tampa usually has a pretty good contingent. So the, the most important games that they'll play on the road, the divisional games, they'll have mm-hmm. a pretty good fan base that will travel. Uh, but it's some of those NFC North ones and AFC and AFC East ones that I'm not, or and the AFC East one rather, uh, that I'm not super sure what the travel situation is going to look like yeah. for the team. So week nine, you got us. We're coming to town uh, mm-hmm. this year where we return to where Zach Miller's leg shattered into a thousand pieces or his knee, oh, I should gosh. say. Yeah, that was Yikes. awful, wasn't it? That was and awful. they still screwed the guy. They screwed him. I know that was a touchdown. <laughs> it was, was a touchdown. Rough. Oh, man. It's so awful that basically the guy ended his career and just bent his knee in every wrong direction you possibly yeah. can. Caught the ball and everything. Even with all that happening with his leg, he still came down with the ball, oh. and they're like, "Yeah, incomplete." Like, yeah. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. Love uh, the NFL. <laughs> yeah, and then at Minnesota, a week eleven bye, which I think is a really good place. Yeah. To have a bye week, you yeah. know, pretty much now, dead well, center in the middle of the schedule. Yeah, I want to mention too, as as we go through this week eight, that game against Indianapolis, that's the last non-conference opponent on the schedule. So weeks nine right. through eighteen, every game matters. Yeah, every single game matters for their seating, for division, all these other things. As, as we go through this, well, I mean, and not to mention the NFL has this awesome reputation of backloading your your division schedule. Hundred. So it's like after your after your bye week, week eleven, week twelve, you got Atlanta, week fourteen, you got the Carolina. You got Tampa Bay and then Atlanta to finish off the season. So four of the six mm-hmm. in the last what seven games, eight games of the of the season, you yep. know. And I saw I was uh, talking to my Lions guy the other day, and they play Minnesota week sixteen and week eighteen. Yep. Yeah. The closest that the Saints have to that one is that Atlanta split. They've got twelve yeah. and eighteen. Yeah. On that one, and look, this is what the NFL has done now to make the. Uh, Make it so that the you know those games toward the end of the season will mean something or mm-hmm. should mean something, and everything, and just to create and drive a little bit more intrigue uh, around it. But that last seven game stretch for New Orleans, and I would even say the last nine game stretch, starting with the Chicago Bears, right, um, is 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 huge for them. And but that Atlanta Falcons game on November twenty sixth, right after Thanksgiving, both teams are coming off of their bye. This is mm-hmm. the second year in a row that this has happened. So both teams are coming off their bye before a late season bout. And uh, that's that's a very, very important game for New Orleans because I think Atlanta is their biggest threat within the division. And so at least splitting the series with them coming off the bye week would be huge. Yeah. And then three straight home games after that Atlanta game, Detroit, Carolina, mm-hmm. and the Giants. And then at the Rams for that other Thursday night game. And then home for – or excuse me, at Tampa on New Year's Eve and then home for the Falcons to to finish out the year. It's, uh, it's an interesting schedule. And, and looking through it – 
looking at it through the 2022 lens, you know, like looking at how these teams were in 2022, it's not an intimidating schedule at all. Mm-mm. No, you, you can look at it two different ways, right? You can look at last year's win-loss record where the Saints would then have the easiest schedule in the NFL. Right. And you can do future projections. You could do like FPI and stuff like that in which the Saints would have the second easiest schedule so no matter how you slice it <laughs> either way it's working out for you guys yeah. yeah exactly wow so i mean yeah it's um it's an interesting schedule uh for you guys i mean it it, it rarely happens that um uh, you know divisions are as bad as they were the year before but it's like you got two rather mediocre divisions that you're that you're facing this year or l3 mm-hmm. if you want to throw the north in there uh, right. As well, especially with Aaron Rodgers uh, gone, the 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 playing field has been leveled mm-hmm. now. You know, even last year's you know division champ Minnesota looks like they've been subtracting more than they've been adding this season. So it kind of makes you wonder where they're going to be this right. year. The Lions are still the Lions. God bless them. So you know, but you know, and and I say this in in full context. We're like they're like the Bears in the fact that they don't exactly string together successful seasons so mm-hmm. it's gonna have to be i'm gonna need to see it to believe it type thing yeah. with the lions as opposed to just taking it off hand be like yeah they're gonna win the division walking away like right i'm gonna have to see them do it i think they can absolutely especially with the way they finished last year the moves they made in this offseason and everything i like the lions a lot but they're still the freaking lions they're gonna have to show me that they can actually pull it off as opposed to you know just being excited about it uh, kind of thing. Yeah. And then the floor ceiling for the Bears is out of this world. You know, it could be one extreme or it could be the other. I, th- I think our yeah. our floor is like maybe six games, seven. Mm-hmm. And I think the ceiling, God help me, is like 12. You know, right. if, if things land the right way with the schedule that we have in front of us, 12 and five is not ridiculous. It's it's on the far extreme end, but it's not ridiculous. Yeah. So, you know, which means it's probably somewhere in the middle, like maybe eight, nine, ten is probably where we're actually going to land mm-hmm. uh, this year. But, you know, I wouldn't be you know blown away if we ended up 12 and five this year yeah. with uh, with what we've done to improve the team and the schedule that we have uh, in front of us. It's not crazy, which is why I'm so interested to see how this AF- NFC South division is going to turn out because it was basically in a, a, a race where it was neck and neck all the way until the end. And it was, uh, you know, Tampa Bay that pulled out it pulled out and in, in, in the end uh, and everything. And everybody else is only one game behind. Yeah. They have a bunch of middle of the road teams and one of them's got to emerge this year. Or so you would hope that somebody's going to get over, you know, nine or 10 wins uh, this season. But you never know at the same time. Mm-mm. So it's just one of those things. How do you see the division, you know, fall, falling out? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough. I, I think it's going to be, you know, uh, New Orleans or Atlanta at the top. And, and whichever one isn't at the top is at two. I think Carolina is probably going to be at three, but not a distant three. I, right. I agree with you. I don't think that Carolina is going to be a bad team. I just think it depends on how it depends on how long it takes for Bryce young to, to be ready. Like if they have to go to Andy Dalton to open the season for a couple of games, fine. But if they have to go to Andy Dalton for half the season, (laughs) then it changes everything. You know what I mean? I can tell you that from experience. And so I, I look at it a little bit differently, uh, in that way, but, or not differently, but I kind of look at it to, depending upon what happens at the quarterback position, as with most things in the NFL, will determine what that team looks like. But I don't think they're a distant third at all. And I think Tampa is just kind of at the basement floor of this whole thing. 
that looks like a team that's just playing for Caleb Williams or Drake May to see what, what's going to happen for them in 2024. Like, I, I genuinely believe that. When you're in a situation to where your quarterback starting conversation is, will it be Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask? Just, you're good. Yeah. Don't worry about it. And so I, I, I consistently look at New Orleans as being a 10-win team, being capable of being a 10-win team. Mm-hmm. They have the veteran quarterback in the division. They have, you know, the they have the greatest continuity on the team. Although they do have big changes at big positions like quarterback, uh, but they do have a lot of continuity. They have a lot of things going for them, and of course, they have this very weak schedule and this whack division and all these other things. But you know, I, I don't know that I'm going to put them in a position where I would say that they would win, you know, twelve, thirteen games or anything like that. But I, I put them in double digit, the ten, eleven games. But they have to stay healthy. That's been one of their biggest issues of the course the past couple of years. They mm-hmm. set a an NFL record back in 2021 for most starters in a single season. 2022, <laughs> they almost challenged that record uh, and everything with all the injuries. They So two things happened for the New Orleans Saints to give you an idea of how injuries impacted them in 2022, which injuries happen to every team. So it's not an excuse, but it is interesting. The Saints had an intended starting five in their secondary. Tyra Matthew, Marcus May at safety, uh, Marshawn Lattimore, Paulson Adebo on the outside, then Bradley Roby in the slot. Those five defensive backs did not play a single snap altogether on the field throughout 2020, throughout 2022. Wow. Never all five of them on the field at the same time. Similarly, if you accept that Trevor Penning was expected to be the starting left tackle, which it was trending that way until that preseason injury, we don't know if it was going to be there for sure, but if we accept that that idea is there and the saints also never played their starting five offensive line throughout the entire season either because they missed Trevor Penning for the first 12 weeks. They missed uh, Eric McCoy from weeks 10 through I want to say 15 with 14 being the bye week. And then the last three games, 16, 17, 18 Cesar Ruiz, who's their starting left guard was on injured reserve. And so never a single snap with all five of those guys on the field, never a single snap with their starting secondary on the field. That's one of the ways that it had a little bit of an impact for them. Yeah. Uh, and and you have to you have to be able to avoid that going into 2023. You have to be able to avoid the Michael Thomas injury. You have to keep your offensive line healthy. You have to keep your team healthy. But it's hard to believe that that injury luck is just going to 180 all of a sudden out of nowhere. Have they done anything to to counteract that bringing in new training staff people or you know anything like that yeah so here's the interesting thing um the saints brought in matt rea who is a sports psychologist or excuse me sports scientist uh with the alabama crimson tide he Mm -hmm. when he was with alabama uh once they bought into his practices he reduced soft tissue injuries at alabama about 50 percent, which is pretty impressive yeah um he shows up in new orleans and new orleans didn't had a nary a, a a soft tissue injury in 2022, they did excellent in terms of that. But uh, Trevor Penning dislocated a toe and then got a Liz Frank injury. And Cesar Ruiz had a Liz Frank injury. This player, you know, Chris Olave missed the game with a concussion. Um, uh, Dwayne Washington missed games with cluster migraines. What? Wow. Um, you had uh, Marshawn Lattimore who tried to make a diving stop in the week five matchup, I believe it was, against the uh, against the Seattle Seahawks, and he uh, punctured a lung or whatever, uh, lacerated a lung, uh, a kidney. Sorry, it was, it was my bad. It was la- lacerated a kidney. I mean, what do you do? How do you stop that? Yeah. Like, what do you what do you do against those? So it was just all these like weird freak things that just kept happening. But they did reduce the soft tissue injuries, what they can control and uh-huh. have a little bit more control over. So that is helpful. Yeah, that's. Uh... Wild. That's insane. Lacerating a kidney. Um, yeah. That's, like when uh, does, that was like that time. Um, 
was it Frank Ragnar had a dislocated throat or something like that for the Lions, and then still, yeah. still called you know, and he does you know he does all the the, yeah, the, the offensive line, line calls. Yeah, yeah, and he still did it. It's just like what? Who who are these guys? <laughs> like what is going on? <laughs> I've always wondered how guys do that, man, because I've sprained my knee a couple of times and there weren't, weren't severe sprains. I didn't tear any ligaments or anything like that, but yeah, spraining your knee and then doing anything active days later, not happening, Dude, not no. happening. So no. I was like, how the hell are you doing that? And how good are the drugs if you yeah. can play through that, you know, yeah, and then I, worry about the soreness later kind of thing? Yeah, I went to, to reach for a, a, a fork the other day and bumped my knuckle on the cabinet and I almost called it a day. Like, <laughs> I, <laughs> these guys are out here lacerating kidneys and stuff. And I'm like, good Lord. Like, and then asking y'all? the doctor when can they come back. He's like, all right, right. Let's, let's pump the brakes. You're bleeding internally, you yeah. moron. How about we settle right. down? Yeah, so, another good example, Cam Jordan. Cam Jordan last year played uh, in, the, in the Pittsburgh Steelers game, uh, fractured orbital bone, on like the first dr- defensive drive. Oh my god! And then play. So he played like ninety eight percent of the game with a fractured orbital bone. Did and he take a foot in the face or something eye. like that? Uh, it was a. It was like an eye gouge okay. situation and everything. Not not purposeful, but sure, you know, sure. that's, that's that's what happened. Yeah. And uh, just so wild, like that's and you know Cam Jordan's missed two games in his entire career. The first of which was in twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one because of COVID. The second of which was twenty twenty two because of a fractured orbital bone. And they nearly had to fight that man to keep him off the field the next game. Right. Like there was no keeping Cam Jordan. You know Cam Jordan wanted to be out on the field and everything. And so just to your point about like you have to keep these guys. You have to convince them that they can't play and that yes your kidney is lacerated. You can't do the thing you want to do. Like you have to convince these guys that that's the case. Yeah. So, because I always, always kind of often wonder that about like professional wrestlers. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, my, you know, my knee was basically being held together by the knee brace. So, but I still wrestled 300 times last year. It's like, how, how, how did you do that? (laughs) Like, how did you walk to the ring? Yeah. Like (laughs) I I sprained my knee playing pickup football. I was on crutches for two weeks. How the hell are you wrestling tomorrow? You know, like, I just don't get it. Incredible. So. Yeah, incredible. You know, it's like I'm, I'm, I fancy myself a pretty tough guy, but I could not pull that off, man. I couldn't do it, and these yeah. guys doing it like it's nothing. So, God bless them all. Insane. I guess I don't know. <laughs> so, but you know what, man? It's 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 so great to have you back. Uh, we look forward to having you back week nine to preview the Bears' trip to the to the to the Superdome. They still call it Thanks, the Superdome, buddy. don't they? Yes, it's just the Caesar Superdome now, not the Mercedes Benz Superdome, I see. which I'm still getting hold of. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, um, for the time that we have left in Soldier Field, and we don't know where we're going to end up now because apparently Arlington Heights oh, yeah. isn't happening for the moment. But right, um, you know, I, I always thankful that the uh, Soldier Field has always been Soldier Field because, like, one of my favorite arenas in the Chicago area, where I'm actually going to see my uh, my favorite band Kiss and uh, Thanksgiving. Oh, dope! Um, all my life growing up, it was called the Rosemont Horizon. And then uh-huh. they they got bought out by Allstate, and now it's the Allstate Arena. And oh, well, that's like <laughs> it will always be the Rosemont Horizon. It's like, don't tell me, yeah, don't correct me. It's the Rosemont Horizon. <laughs> I'm not going to the Allstate Arena. I'm going to the Rosemont Horizon. So, yeah, it's just one of those things, you know. Like, God forbid, if the Cubs sold the naming rights to Wrigley Field, oh, it yeah. would need to be something like, you know. And I State think Farm, actually Wrigley Field. Well, you I know think it I mean? would be kind of like um, I think for a while the Bears um, gave up naming rights to 
like U.S. Cellular or something like that. It was mm-hmm. like Soldier Field presented by U.S. Cellular yes. or something like yeah. that. Yeah. That would have to be what they do with Wrigley Field, an institutional place like that. Yeah. Like, give me a freaking break. But Yeah, no shot. Yeah. But so, yeah, <laughs> it is still the, uh, the Superdome. So you'll have a front row seat for that, won't you? Yeah, yeah, I'll be up. Uh, I'll be up in the uh, press box for all the games, uh, home and away. So you get nine. Oh, nice traveling. Nine too. games this year. Yeah, nice. we got nine games away this year. Last year we we had eight away games that we traveled for. Right. Uh, that media traveled for, but we had. But one of the Saints' home games was technically the London game. Oh. So we went to. And I, I'll never say the phrase we had to go to London. It was we got to go to London. Yeah. Uh, so it's just two straight years of of nine games to travel for. It was interesting, like watching that homestead uh, that they have at the end of the schedule, December third, tenth, seventeenth. I was kind of watching it, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah. So it's just like you know, home, 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 all throughout. And then once the holidays hit, December twenty first. <laughs> On the road to Los Angeles, December 31st, on the road to Tampa. And I was like, yeah. oh, well, that was, it was close. Yeah, we almost made it. Yeah. So tell me, as a fan, what's that like being in the press box? Because I can imagine, I don't know if I'd be able to, like, follow the quote-unquote rules in the press oh, box yeah. watching the game because you're not supposed to be emotional or, you know, get, you know, get riled up or, or whatever, you know. And I understand how beat guys can can do it, but you grew up a fan, you're a podcaster, so you're kind of an unorthodox member of the press box. How does that work for you? Yeah, I mean it's 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 pretty simple for me, just simply because like I'm not I'm not a cheering participator in in you know football games and stuff like that, like or or in sporting events. The the exception being when I'm at a live event within you know the greater fan base and stuff like that so like i'll go to a pelicans game and you know yell my head off if i want to and all that but you know if i'm sitting at home back you know watching television and everything like that like i'm usually not reacting to the game in that way um and i'm such a fan of the game of football sure sure. that like that's the thing that's always so special to me and everything and so it it mimics a little bit more of the sitting back at home watching kind of thing and you know look you're working the whole time too so you're you're tweeting to keep people up to date you're you're taking down you're writing down analysis you're getting stuff ready for your post-game pieces and your your post-game hits and stuff like that and so like you are busy up there like you are working up there and so that kind of helps with it too but uh but that uh I, I won't say that cheering doesn't happen in the in the press box like you can see it if you go to you know certain games or certain situations and stuff like that like college and stuff like that maybe it's sure. a little bit looser uh but yeah the expectation in the nfl is that you don't you know that you're not doing that and and that's not an issue for me yeah i wonder what that press box was like in the nfc title game against the rams yeah, me too, actually. I have some folks that can ask about that. I don't know if they want to relive it, but I have some folks that can ask about that and uh, everything. But, yeah, I imagine that that was Because I imagine like, that tables are getting flipped over up there. Like, can you believe this? You know, that yeah, kind of thing. Like, yeah, I bet that there was a lot of at least, like, the thing that is nice in the press box is that, like, there will be honest conversation about what's going on on the field sure. and everything. Like, it's not about, like, no, no emotion, nothing. But, like, you know, when there's a great play, there's a great play, and people are going to react to that. And there, when there's, you know, a confusing play, you'll see people in the press box looking around like, what the hell was that? Like, yeah. what, what is happening? So, like, there's still very much, you know, those those things are still very much present. Uh, but, yeah, you, I, I'd be curious to – I would like to go back and be a fly on the wall for that one for sure. Yeah, definitely. That would be an interesting moment uh, for mm-hmm. sure. But um, – and then last question, uh, in the Saints, uh, in, in the Superdome, what's the food like? Um, 
halftime is always weird because it's usually hot dogs but the okay. <laughs> before the game before the game is usually where you see like the red beans and rice and the jambalaya come nice. out and stuff like that uh so it's it's solid i mean it's it's press box food just like you would see across the nfl uh i know that they're making a lot of strides to improve the food situation both at the team facility and at the dome uh-huh. uh, especially with all the new renovations and stuff like going on so i imagine there's going to be a big change in what that is within the next couple of years so we'll see but you know i think it keeps everybody happy the the thing that's the thing that's really tough up there is that it's freezing it is okay. freezing cold like top three coldest press boxes in the nfl easily huh easily. is it is it closed off so there's nowhere for the air to go kind of thing or no the problem is is that you know you have all of the people you have the ninety thousand whatever seventy one thousand whatever people that are there and so they have all the blowers like they have all of the ac units going you know hvac's just going crazy sure, the entire sure. game trying to keep everything cooled down but in the press box there ain't that many of us up there like there's not <laughs> 70,000 of us but we're getting direct airflow cuz we're up above the 600 section which is the top section so we're above the nosebleeds we're nosebleeding on the nosebleeds up there sure. and so we're just getting the direct results of the heat or the direct counteraction of the heat that all the bodies are creating directly in our face. And so it is, it is very cold and it's completely open and everything. So it's just going directly at you the entire time. So it's, it it is top three cold press boxes in the NFL for sure. Cause I, I, you know, I, I traveled a lot with the, with the team when I was in college, cause I was Mm -hmm. the, the play by play and the color guy uh, at home. And, but of course it's all college stadiums. And so it's, you know, Mm -hmm subway or, or jimmy john's maybe yeah, occasionally right. they go crazy and get us kfc or something like that yeah. but it's usually like pizza or sandwiches or something and then in 2001 we went to south florida to play the to play this you know university of south florida at raymond james and mm, raymond yeah. james had fajitas. no joke yeah yeah they had fajitas yeah, no joke i was like is this how the nfl lives because <laughs> this is where i need to be the food was amazing you know yeah. For a college game, they were still serving NFL-type food uh, and everything. And I was like, dude, I had fajitas and rice and tortillas and, you know, as opposed yeah. to the, you know, the the, the the bootlegger club I had at, the, you know, <laughs> Sam Houston State the other day uh, kind of thing. You know, it was just um, – I was interested to see what the, the food situation is like for, uh, for you know, what they do for the press or, uh, or what, like, you know, anybody who gets a chance to, to go in there. Yeah, uh, and everything. Yeah, my favorite, my favorite is when you're up in the press boxes, and you know, and an and inactive player or something comes up and like grabs food at the press box, and then like goes down. You see that at like every stadium and stuff. Uh, I think my favorite, my favorite one that I've been to, I love the Pittsburgh one. Atlanta's is dope too. Atlanta, Atlanta. When we went, they had somebody there carving brisket, not just brisket available, but yeah. there was someone there carving brisket and putting it on your plate for you. So that was pretty dope. Yeah. Uh, and Pittsburgh has kind of its own section that is basically like a press cafeteria, which is kind of separated from the press box. You know, Ray J's is like all in one area, just behind sure. the press seating yeah, yeah. and everything. Um, Pittsburgh's, you walk through a door and then you're you're there. And so at AccuShore. And so that that's pretty nice, too. But those are the I, I, I'm this will be my first time going to Minneapolis. And okay. I've heard that theirs is I've heard that theirs is incredible. Yeah, I, I, I think their their stadium is amazing. Yeah. So I would I love yet, so I would love to go. I would love to mm-hmm. go. Um it's it's on my, you know, my bucket list if you will. I want I want to mm-hmm. go see a a Bears game in Minnesota. I got to see them play yeah. against Green Bay and Lambeau. You know, that kind of, I've been to Detroit, not doing mm-hmm. that again. But uh <laughs> I was not impressed and, you know, at, at the time I was like and they had just hosted the Super Bowl there. 
Oh, you know? wow. Because yeah. I went there in 07. The Super Bowl was there at the after the 05 season. Yeah. I was like, they brought the Super Bowl here? This place yeah. is a dump. So, like, whatever. <laughs> oh, and they're, they're still there at Ford Field, too. So, But anyway, yeah. Ross, thanks so much, man. Uh, we will be in touch to have you back for week nine. We'll basically be dead set in the middle of the uh, – in the middle of the season there. So yeah. still a long way to go, but we should have some of these questions answered by the time we run into each other again. Absolutely, man. I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait. I think it's going to be a really fun game, and that's a that's an important stretch of the season for sure. Indeed. It, and like you mentioned before, it, it kicks off a very important section of the schedule for you because you're done with mm-hmm. AFC teams yep. after that. So basically no free losses after week nine. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, when the Bears come to town, it's it's a... It's a you know, you're flying without a net there, uh, you know, mm-hmm. after that. So um, so where can we keep up with you in the, in the meantime? This should take a while, huh? Oh, yeah. No, no don't worry. I've, I've got this boiled down. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find the podcast Locked on Saints wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube as well. Just search Locked on Saints. That's daily 30-minute uh, updates on everything going on with the New Orleans Saints. You'd also find the written work over at uh, Sports uh, Saints News Network, which is Sports Illustrated's fan nation site covering the New Orleans Saints. That's at saints.media. You can find additional written content as well over at crescentcitysports.com. But the easiest way is just follow along on Twitter at Ross Jackson NOLA, N-O-L-A. There you go. So... Hope you got all that. If not, just rewind it back, listen to it again, write it all down. So, just go to the Twitter, man. There you go. The, the Twitter bio, where all 61 of his jobs are listed in his Twitter bio. Ross Jackson, thanks so much for coming back, man. We'll talk to you again real soon. Absolute pleasure, buddy. Take care, stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon. All right. As always, love having Ross Jackson on the show. Looking forward to having him back on. I think, did I say week nine? I've already forgotten. Week number, yes, week nine. <laughs> Sorry, it took me a second to pull it back up. Uh, yes, week nine when the Bears travel down to New Orleans to take on uh, the Saints. And, um, you know, we'll see what kind of team the Saints turn out to be uh, this year. You know, with... Uh, with uh, you know uh, a car being paired with with Kamara and possibly Michael Thomas and uh, and everything as well and, and we'll see how uh, Joe Woods comes in and, and helps out that uh, that defense and um, you know the Saints were were an interesting team uh, last year with uh, you know it, it was they were one of those teams and, and obviously we, you know you heard me talk to Ross about it they were a team that. When the defense played, the offense couldn't score, and when the offense scored, the defense couldn't stop them. So it's like they, there was never really a, a you know a great combination where they put it all together. And, and I think they only did it like one time, and that and that went over the Raiders, like we mentioned before. So just very interesting uh, team, uh, definitely going to. I mean, that whole division, like I talked about, you know, with everyone so far uh, in our NFC South previews, and uh, uh, as I've mentioned in all the intros, it's just. It's a division that's definitely up in the air. It's anyone's to take because the division champ was 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 also a losing team and only one game better than everybody else uh, last year. So, and they didn't do much, if anything, to get better to go into this season. So, Tampa Bay might fall to the bottom of the division right now. If I had to make a call, that's the one I'd make. Quite frankly, I feel a lot better about the three teams we've just talked about 
than I do about the the team we're going to be previewing uh, on Tuesday. Uh, Rhett Matthew from Cannon Fire Podcast is going to be joining us to talk about uh, the Buccaneers, and um, we'll see what he has to say about his squad, minus uh, Tom Brady and uh, year two of um, Todd Bowles uh, as head coach out there uh, in Tampa. So we'll see what what, uh, he has to say. So uh, come back on Tuesday, you know, a little something to – listen to before you get going with your uh, with the fireworks and the barbecues uh, on the fourth then we'll close the book on the nfc south and move on to our nfc north brethren so come on back tuesday enjoy the holiday with me and and rhett matthew to preview the buccaneers and until then my name is larry d and this has been the bear stock underground